so my name is Simon. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church. So um, an extremely warm welcome to those of you that are here for the first time or if you're visiting. Um, you've come halfway in between a series that we're currently running here at Revelation Church entitled No Retreat, No Surrender. Um, and at the moment we are looking at uh, Christian spiritual warfare and uh, seeking to understand what that truly means. And we're using a passage in the Bible from Ephesians 6 as a bit of a springboard passage for us to understand more about spiritual warfare and um, we're starting starting from last week we're looking at specific elements that Paul is talking us through uh, with regards to armory he kind of uses a metaphor of war and of a Roman soldier and um, we're having had a, a three-week setup from Steph around uh, what is Christian warfare and, and what is this battle that we're engaged in we've now started looking at some of the individual elements um, so we're starting today uh, looking at uh, Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 6 and then we'll go from there. So in your Bibles, this is from verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, in it you have given us all we need for life. Lord, we just pray today that um, you would just give us understanding. I pray today that you would use me to speak words that will bring freedom to captives, Lord, that um, would give us a real awareness of the battle that we're in at the moment. I thank you, Lord, that that our starting place is in you as as, uh, victor, Lord, as the one who reigns and rules and sits on the throne, Lord. We thank you that... um, You are the great high priest, Lord, and you have overcome all. Jesus, we just um, submit to your authority today. We welcome you here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just rest on hearts and um, just give ears to hear the word that's spoken today. Amen. So um, Paul there talks about um, methods or schemes of the devil and um, over the course of this series we're looking at trying to um, expose some of the schemes of the devil so that um, we're not ignorant to them so that we can then um, work out what are these weapons of warfare that we're told are mighty in God. And um, three things that we looked at in the previous weeks in terms of ways that the devil seeks to... um, I guess, destabilers or tries to dampen our fervence or our, our, our vigour in Christ. Um, three things Steph talked about in the, in the first three weeks. First, deception, that 
the devil, I can see you're already impressed by my visuals. I can see faces lit up just from the movement there. Uh, first of all, deception, <laughs> um, <laughs> whereby subtleties and lies might creep in that would seek to distort the truth and in some way fool us. Secondly, distraction, um, whereby if we can be occupied in our minds or our thoughts and our actions on something that is not Christ as the centre, then in some way um, the devil has a foothold. And ultimately these two things, distraction and um, deception, ultimately looking for or leading to destruction, whether that's spiritually or materially. So today um, I'm going to be talking through standing against unrighteousness and looking to uncover and expose some of the schemes that Satan might use. Either that's deception, distraction, ultimately leading to destruction. So the breastplate of righteousness. We know from the Bible, throughout the Bible, that righteousness is a character of God. It's a trait that is spoken about with regards to God. It's part of his character. It means that God is a holy, a right, a just God. He's without sin. He is a good God, period. We also know from a legal metaphor that it means that God is someone who judges rightly and correctly and faithfully and justly and in a noble way and he's faithful and is true and is honest and he is good above all things. We also know that we were made, in Genesis 1 we're told that we're made man and woman in God's image and therefore we were made righteous in his sight. God says that we're made in his likeness. We also know from reading in Genesis that through sin we became unrighteous. The Bible tells us that no one is righteous, not one. And so this presents us with a problem. We have a God who is righteous and holy and just and we have a people that are unrighteous. And we, want a, we have a God who was originally wanting to declare the people righteous in his sight and yet we know that through sin... We're unrighteous. And so this presents us with a problem. And Jesus, fortunately, in, um, in the parables, sought to um, unpack this a little bit and explain what is unrighteousness and, and also how might we, once again, stand before God as righteous. And I was um, pleased myself to find this in trying to answer this question. So I'm going to use a parable that Jesus um, did in Luke 18 to try and explain what is righteousness What's the, the breastplate of righteousness? And um, how can we be righteous before God? So I've got the um, parable up here. I'll read it through with you if you want to find it in your Bibles or on your apps. It's Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. Just before I do that, just to give you a bit of a context, uh, there's two characters in this parable. There's one guy who is a seemingly holy man, is a, a Pharisee. He's going into a holy place, into the temple, to do what looks to be a holy thing, going in to pray, um, talking about holy things that he's been doing, and yet Jesus declares him unrighteous. And then we have a second character, a tax collector, who would have been deemed to be uh, a bit of a villain of his time, and someone who is pretty despicable, um, who also goes into the temple and has a, a very different reaction. And Jesus uses these two characters to explain what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness and um, illustrates the difference between these two. And from now on I'm going to use the terms works righteousness versus gift righteousness to explain what that means. So I'll read this through with you and then we'll unpack this a little bit to help us understand what is it that we're fighting against, what is this unrighteousness that we can be deceived or distracted about. 
So he, this is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to look at these two characters in turn to help us to understand what is this righteousness and where are we prone to fall and be um, deceived and distracted into unrighteousness. So let's take the first man first of all, the Pharisee. Um, Here we can already see some of the schemes or methods that I want to um, expose today. One, in the way that uh, he he viewed himself, the way that the Pharisee saw himself. And secondly, in the way that the um, Pharisee compared himself to those people around him. Both of which, I would argue, are, are deceptional and distractions. So works righteousness, what is that exactly? It's pretty much saying, I'm a good person because I dot, 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 and you can fill in the gaps there, that I essentially do something, or I've chosen to behave in a certain way, or because I engage in, in certain things. Um, as Jesus said right in the opening there, it's those who trust in themselves in some way. They're trusting that because of what they're doing or saying, or the, the friendship that they keep, or the members of the organisation that they belong to, because of something that they have done, it in some way qualifies them or uh, gives them a sense that they are a good person in some way. Um, so let me give you some examples. For a start, if you're someone who has a, maybe the right word is a very high self-esteem, you might be someone that very overtly says, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person, I do lots of good things and I live my life well. Um, for many of us, though, I think this takes probably a bit more of a, a subtle slant. Um, so I thought for myself, first of all, how is it that I ever seek to see myself as just or as any better, a better person because of the things that I do or I engage with. Um, so, first of all, I thought I was reminded, at, you know, um, at home, and I think the, the shameful thing is that often the person that I'm seeking to prove I'm better than is the person I love most, my wife. But um, I, was, I was thinking even at home, you know, when if I do something around the house that I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing, you know, a little tidying up here, a bit of a cle- clearing the dishwasher and filling it again there... <laughs> If Natalie doesn't notice, <laughs> I make sure she does notice some way. Like I might open the dishwasher and go, oh, it's clean. Or <laughs> I, might, I might move to the spacious area and amaze myself at all the room that <laughs> I have from the clearing of piles of things. And um, I, I, I don't want it to be um, unsaid that, you know, that I've done these things. I also think that um, you know, often I... I've, I've, take pride in the fact that I work hard and I've run my own business and um, I can easily slip into a place where I think I'm a, I'm a good person because I've done, I've done well with what I've been given and that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing but the moment that my sense of wanting to prove myself as a good person slips into pride in any way that I think it's got anything to do with me how successful I've been or how well it's gone then I've 
I've fallen into works righteousness because it's about me and not about Jesus. Um, I might think that I dress better than other people. I know you're green. <laughs> and therefore, somehow it makes me a good person because clearly the other people aren't aware of what is on fashion at the moment. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it may be that um, I recycle and I separate card and plastic. <laughs> and I'm a pretty good person because of that. <laughs> it may be that you only eat organic snacks, or you drive a hybrid car, or you're a good person, or you're a member of Save the Dolphins, or whatever it is. What, what is it that you're pleased with yourself for doing is my question. And there's probably quite a lot when you stop and think about it, where points in your day you think, yes, I've, I've done quite well, I've done really well there, I've, I've said the right thing, I've done the right thing, um, I, I'm a good person today because I've, I've done certain activities. Now these things, as I said, are not necessarily wrong themselves, but the moment that you think it's in any shape or form making you a good person or a better person is where it becomes works. And at the end of the day, no one is in any way more holy because of what we've chosen to do at all. When God seeks to declare someone just and right in his sight, I can tell you now, it's not because you separated the plastics and the cardboard. It it is not at all. And so there's a definite first deception in, in how we see ourselves. I think we can subtly view ourselves in a way where day by day, because of the way we conduct ourselves and the way we behave, we think in some shape or form we are um, being a good person or proving ourselves to be good before God. And in some sense we're seeing God as a judge and that we have to perform certain acts in, in some way to, you know, to prove ourselves to him. And I'll tell you today, that's not how it works. Galatians 2.21 says, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It's a gift, and it's through grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Second thing that we notice with the Pharisee, in terms of a distraction, is that he compared himself to others. If I go back to the passage, he said here, Listen to this for a prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. (laughs) Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It's pretty um, extreme. His prayer is an interesting one in that it's it's just, look at me, God, how great I am. Um, And Jesus actually says that people like this, they're treating others with contempt rather than compassion. Contempt is essentially saying that in some way... Other people are lower than you or not, not quite made it like you have. Um, and again, I was thinking, so, okay, so how does this show up in everyday life? How is it that I might be slipping in, in my mentality to thinking that my righteousness is anyway based on me or how I compare myself against others? And how is it that I might be deceived in some shape or form? Well, I was considering this um, the other week. I was um, travelling. I was working in uh, Philadelphia the other week and I was just on my way home at the airport in Philadelphia and I was sitting there with my um, earphones on but they were making announcements at the same time and, and they weren't actually on at the same time and there was, there was an American couple sitting next to me and we were waiting to board the plane and um, he looked across to me and saw me with my trolley and saw me with my headphones in and obviously assumed that I couldn't hear what he was saying <laughs> and just said to his wife... Look at these people with their huge trolleys taking up all the room on the plane. And, but, and I looked across to him, and in my mind I was thinking, look at these big fat Americans who are taking up all the room on the plane. 
I didn't say that either. <laughs> Contempt, not compassion, I can tell you that much. <laughs> I thought, God, am I that bad? And he took me back to another example. When we were, again, when, we, when I was entering the States, and it's quite a convoluted way of um, entering the States, and you have to do all these fingerprint things. And Natalie and I, because Natalie's from Germany and we travel a lot, we have this little game where when you get to the customs and there's all, all the customs entrances and you have to choose a queue, we have to, between the two of us, choose the one that the queue's going to down, go down the quickest. And... Um, Often we don't do very well in this game, but even though Natalie wasn't there, I still played it myself. <laughs> and, um, and there was about seven different aisles, and um, so I, I chose the one that I could see, you know, had the most astute-looking people who were going to process themselves very fast, went and joined the right queue, and then was very, very pleased with myself that I'd selected this one. And I'm, what, what I do, and I know people do it as well, is I look across and I see who's level with me in the other queues so that I can gauge, am I going to be there faster or not than them? So that when I get there, I can just give them a little nod. <laughs> <laughs> and a little, a little glance of recognition. And they do it too. I know it's not just me. <laughs> so I chose the queue, uh, strike one. I already think I'm better purely because I can select the fastest queue. That, that is a worry. That's, that's how fickle we can be, I can tell you. Uh, so I get, I get to the front. I'm really pleased with myself because I have selected the first one. And there's just two guys in front of me. They go up to the, um, to the customs guy. And they are clearly unaccustomed travellers, unlike myself. And they were not ready at all. They hadn't got their passports out. They didn't know anything about their fingerprinting business in the US. And they took forever to do it. And immediately I was just thinking, look, everyone else, everyone that I've aligned myself with is, is going through. And I'm being left behind because of you. You two people over there who clearly just haven't got... A, you know, you don't know how it works. <laughs> You've got to be ready with your passport open, the picture page, your finger ready to put on the thing. And they just did not have a clue. I was much better than them. I was ready. They were not. In some way, I, de- I deemed them with contempt. And, uh, you know, they were lower because I, they weren't ready to, to pass the customs. So I finally got through after my <laughs> second strike of... Um, you know, comparing myself to others and in some way thinking that I was better um, till I got to the, the man at customs and, oh my goodness, he was the grumpiest, grumpiest um, guy. I think he, he, I don't know, he reveled in his power at that little desk um, and he just, like, barked at me, give me a passport, like, really, and a thumb, four fingers, like, really just grunting at me and I just looked at him and I thought, you're not very friendly, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Strike three, I think I'm better than him as well. So in the space of about ten minutes, God just showed me. <laughs> that in my mind, I'm con- I am continuously comparing myself, whether that's subtle or great, and I'm thinking, I'm better than you because I do it this way. I'm better than you because I was ready for the queue. I'm better than you because I'm smiley and nice to people, and you are a grumpy old man. <laughs> but either way, I'm better than all of you. And... Actually, Jesus tells us that this is contempt rather than compassion. So again, my question to you is, what is it, or who is it, that annoys you? What are the groups of people that you hold contempt for? Is it those who, you know, you go into work and you you go in every day and you think, thank God that I'm here because everyone else is a little bit more stupid than me. They are lucky that I am here. Or is it a certain socio-economic group of people that you just, you know, that you, you can't 
bear with, you know, is it people that you consider to be lazy or awkward or just annoying or rude or whatever it is? Who are the people that you hold in contempt? And in effect, what we're doing here is it's a massive whirlwind of distraction. Instead of our lives and our minds being focused on him who had absolute compassion, it, we're creating a whole framework of sin and righteousness, and somehow in our minds, we're kind of ranking up who's good and who's bad, and how good am I, and how good are you, according to the most menial and stupid of tasks that you can laugh at, but I can guarantee it's something that we all do, absolutely. And so consider, who is it that you have contempt for? This is a real, um, going back to our distraction, it's a real distraction because in, instead of looking at Jesus and saying, he's the one that if anything I'm going to compare myself to, it's him. Instead we're looking around and comparing ourselves to the people in the queues and the people we see at the school on the way to work or on the buses or the people that are driving rubbishly or the, the cyclist that cuts in front of us and we just think, wow... We've got it a bit wrong here. We've got, you know, we've been totally fooled and distracted. Instead of contempt, Jesus displayed immense compassion. And we're going to look at this in a second. Instead of comparing ourselves to others all day, it's comparing ourselves to him. It was interesting that in this story, Jesus uses um, a Pharisee as what looks like an extreme or, you know, really bad example to be honest of works righteousness and this guy is coming into the temple and he would have been someone that you know publicly would have been known to be a kind of a holy man of the time if that's the right word and you know he said that he fasts twice a day and he tithes and he prays you know praying out loud in this case so that most people can hear him and take notice of it as well um and works righteousness from a, a religious sense where you're Not only are you comparing yourself to other people who you're seeking to prove that you're better in some way, but yet in the presence of God you're doing things and you're thinking, I can can earn a sense of righteousness before you. I can can perform in in a certain way that's going to lift me up in in how you you esteem me or how, how you see me. And we know, or those of you that know the gospel know that that's rubbish and that there's, there's nothing that we can do to add or detract from that but it manifests itself in funny ways like you could catch yourself being proud of the way that you serve or the way that you give or the way that you contribute or the way that you pray all of which are brilliant things and we welcome it but if it comes to the place where you, you're doing it and you're, you're, not, you're hoping people might notice or you're in, your, in your mind you're thinking did anyone hear that prayer? it was a pretty good one <laughs> you know or you know like you've, it can quite easily become quite pharisaic where instead of having our motivation driven by Jesus and what he did it becomes by those around us and what we want to seek to look like so in no way is it impressive it's a deception and it certainly doesn't make us any more righteous before God because of what we do or say or act Both of these two, ultimately leading to our destruction. This is why it's, uh, I believe, included in this passage from Paul, because it can really consume our minds and our thoughts and distract us from what we should be doing. We can be caught up in a whole whirlwind of you know, mismatched understanding of righteousness and comparison, and our whole world ultimately becomes centred around ourselves instead of around Jesus. We start comparing 
and looking at other people's sin as opposed to our own. And we end up boasting in ourselves and not in what he's done. How does God see works righteousness? Well, in Isaiah 64, 6, we're actually told how God views works righteousness, where we, in any way, shape or form, are trying to bring something to God to say, this qualifies me to, to be right in your sight, or this qualifies me to come into your presence, or in, in some way, you know, makes me worthy of, of being near you. Well, Isaiah 64 just describes it as filthy rags, and, and the... Without wanting to, I'm not being coarse for um, shock value, but the the definition most scholars would agree is actually soiled menstrual cloths. Like it's a really vivid, deplorable, despicable, disgusting imagery. And the background to this was in in Levitical law, where if a woman was um, having an issue of blood or she was going through her her cycle, then she'd be taken out of the camp for seven days, and anything she touched or anyone who came into contact with her would have been um, declared unholy or unclean. Now, thank God we're not under the law now and those practices aren't something we regard. However, at the time, the, the analogy of um, filthy menstrual rags would have just been something that was just detestable and like just horrible. And it's, it's a very striking image of how God views works righteousness. That it's something that is not, it's, it's not just deceptional but it's actually deplorable and detestable and disgusting in his sight and that is quite shocking if we f- for a minute think that we can put ourselves in a place where we are by our own works worthy of being declared righteous and just we are mistaken there is another option in this story so we have the man, the tax collector. Let's look at his um, part in this story. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This uh, particular man would have been like the scum of society. The tax collectors in those times were real criminals employed by the government to basically be extortionists and they would go and, and you know, use any means to get money and often way more than they needed to collect and they would be really you know, crass and abusive and you know, really, really regarded as lowlifes. And yet this man was coming to the temple and what does he do? He firstly recognises that God is a holy, holy God and you know, when we are looking at him and comparing ourselves to him, you see yourself for who you really are. He's, the thing that he's doing there, beating his breast, is similar to what um, someone would do in terms of like mourning at a funeral, where they're really just like, God, what, what have I done? What, you know, what's going on here? And he's, he's talking of his own sin, rather than the Pharisee, who seems to be noticed everyone else's. He's... Um, instead of the Pharisee who's coming in haughtily with his head raised and his loud voice so everyone can hear his prayers, he's instead got his eyes to the floor, he's humble, he's just full of shame and just being humble. And instead 
of coming and telling God all of the things that he's done to make himself right and just, he comes and asks for a gift. This um, free gift of righteousness is something that comes through faith in Jesus. One of my um, favourite passages in the Bible, if you're allowed to have one, <laughs> I have, um, was 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And I just want to uh, talk through with you what it means to understand righteousness and who we are in Christ. So I've done a little diagram. Um, instead of wowing you with my doctrinal understanding, I thought I'd bamboozle you with my graphics. <laughs> this is you. Uh, on the, the left-hand side, being unrighteous. Hands up, who's on that side? Those that haven't got their hands up, you are doubly unrighteous. Uh, this is Jesus. He's got a crown on his head. There's the difference. Came as a man. Um, lived an absolutely right, just, perfect, blameless, holy life. Pleasing God completely. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived an absolutely holy life, um, totally selflessly, all for the glory of God, took on board our sin. So this is us on this side, born into sin, thinking, doing, unrighteous, sinful deeds and acts. Jesus, when he came lived this life and yet chose to die on the cross, chose to take on board our sin and instead, in exchange, we get his righteousness. It seems a bit of a kooky formula to me, like it doesn't add up and that is, that is the amazing, amazing and sometimes mind-blowing mystery of the gospel in that Jesus living a completely clean and pure and blameless life willingly takes on our sin on the cross, dies, overcomes sin and death, seated at the right hand of the Father, and in exchange we get his righteousness. And when we come to stand before the Father, we are declared justified, which is, again, a bit of a legal term when a sinner, like you and me, is declared right in God's sight because of Jesus. In the... Um, in the Reformation, this was really at the heart of it, and Martin Luther called this the Great Exchange, where my sin goes to Jesus and his righteousness comes to me. And in um, theology, this is called double imputed. And it's just, it's just amazing to comprehend it when you think about it, that all, that all that we've done, all of our dirt and shame and filth and all of those appalling things that we do, are taken on by Jesus, and instead we are clothed, the Bible says we're clothed with his righteousness. It's just, it is just incredible. When Jesus said that on the cross, that the work is finished, he, he meant that. There's nothing we can do to add or take away from the work that was accomplished on the cross. If we believe in Jesus by faith, we confess our sins, his His Righteousness comes and clothes us, totally undeserved, and yet that is the amazing work of the cross. When we consider this and the story, I think, you know, when we remember really where we stand in Christ and that it's his righteousness that we stand in and, and not our own, that we can't do anything to make ourselves any better, we can't compare ourselves to anyone to in some way get a sense of 
being good, that it's only by wondering at the cross and thinking, wow, Jesus, you did such an amazing thing that whilst I was still sinning, you died for me, that you stretched out your hand in mercy and grace and poured out your love. It's just incredible. And we just then, I think, come to be like the, the tax collector who, when he comes into the presence of God, just recognises how holy and righteous God is and how he looks at himself and his sin and thinks, wow, God, forgive me, have mercy on me. This is at the heart of Christian warfare because if we, for a minute, start to fight in our own strength or in thinking that it's got anything to do with us, then it's prone to destruction. At the heart, the foundation of real Christian spiritual warfare is really knowing that it's about Jesus. Paul starts off this passage with standing in his might. That is Jesus' might, not, not our own. We have... We have to understand this, that in in the fight, we are standing clothed, covered, hidden, absolutely, in Christ. And he is the one that has enabled us to be declared righteous before God. It's absolutely all about him. Now, just to say that God does care about our work, so it's not to say that he doesn't. But we are absolutely, firstly, saved by grace and not by what we do. But yet, then, God saves us not because of our works, but to do but two, saves us two good works. So it's absolutely right and proper then that this righteousness of God is, is uh, communicated and expressed around us. And things that we do here at Rev, like you know the gospel communities, are an absolute expression of God's righteousness in the earth. And that's absolutely right and proper. Um, and at the heart of it, it's recognising that it is about Jesus and that we stand in him. And our only right standing is because of what Jesus has done. It's through faith in him and because of what he accomplished on the cross that we can be declared, um, God can declare us righteous and justified. That's the, um, that's the call that goes out as, as we stand before God, justified, instead of what what should have gone, which is guilty, that the declaration has changed because of what Jesus has done. I'll put this last passage up, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If ever there was anyone who I think could feel contempt it probably, you probably could say it would be Jesus who came, you know, he was God, became man, came to live and walk, work on, uh, live on the earth. He dwelt with, amongst sinners who, you know, in their heart were uh, against God and, just, and were so unrighteous. And yet, rather than feeling contempt towards us, he, he expressed compassion. And it's just uh, an incredible uh, picture of... Of the, of the gospel and how Christ just reached out um, and clothed us with his righteousness. And um, the amazing thing is that if you don't know Jesus, then you could have walked in here today, you know, being unrighteous and, and not being able to stand before God in that sense and being, maybe even being aware of your sin and the, your sinfulness and yet because of what Jesus has done he's made a way and made a path for you to be able to be declared righteous in his sight and there's nothing more rewarding than knowing 
the Father being able to declare you righteous is much better than anyone else or any, anyone else you, know, you might be comparing yourself to to make yourself feel any better. But to be able to hear in your heart that you know, you've been declared justified and right in his sight because of Jesus is just the most incredible thing. And um, everyone here has that opportunity to have that declared over them through faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, if the band would like to come up, please. So, we're going to uh, spend some time worshipping now and just being thankful. I'm going to pray. Um, We've got bread and wine at the back. Please feel free to um, go and take communion. There's no particular time when we do that, so please take it with uh, one of your brothers and sisters and go and break bread and remember what Jesus has done. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, there is real life and freedom to be found in you, Jesus. I thank you that it's in you we stand. Jesus, I thank you that you took on all of our sin on the cross, Lord. I thank you that you willfully went to the cross, Lord. I thank you that you exchanged that for your righteousness. Lord, it's just amazing that you would do that. It's amazing that you would give your life for us, Jesus. It's just incredible to to contemplate, Lord, that you love us so much that you you died, you went to the cross and you overcame sin and death and that you reign victoriously. Lord, it's just amazing that we can even partake in that, Lord, that we could be declared righteous and just now because of you, Lord, because your blood washes and cleanses us, Lord. It's just amazing that we are able to now stand in your presence, God, that we can dwell with you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving yourself for us, Lord. We thank you that We thank you that it is all about you and nothing about us, Lord, and we just declare that today, Lord. We recognise that we can't do anything to make ourselves right before God. There's nothing that we can say or do, but Jesus, it's completely because of what you've done. It's completely through faith in you, Jesus, that we are able to have life and life to the fullness. Lord, I thank you. Instead of deception and distraction and destruction, you bring life and healing and wholeness and joy and peace. It's just incredible, Lord. And we praise you. We thank you. You're worthy of our praise, Lord.